Good evening again. We're going to be beginning tonight in Matthew chapter 26. I invite you to turn there. Matthew 26. We'll be beginning in about verse 38. It's so good to be back again with you tonight. Uh, I have really enjoyed being with you all, especially the the one-on-one visits. Um, My favorite part of gospel meetings is not this part. It's not that I don't enjoy this part. Um, I enjoy just visiting with with people and... um, talking with you, and I try to listen. You know, us, us preachers have a reputation of doing a little bit more talking than we do listening sometimes. I will confess that can be my weakness, but I really try to listen because uh, I like to learn about y'all. Uh, I, I want to know what's going on in your minds and your hearts and uh, the burdens that you bear and the joys that you have because um, I like those things. I want to know who to pray for and who to rejoice with. Um, so I'm enjoy visiting with you guys. Um, and I look forward to visiting with more of you uh, throughout the next uh, few days. Uh, thanks so much for being here, and I do hope the lesson is an encouragement to you. Um, Matthew 26. Um, Jesus is about to be betrayed. He's about to be arrested, and um, this is something that is weighing very heavy on him, as we can see in this chapter. Beginning in verse 38, it says that he said to the apostles, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Uh, It's really hard for me uh, to see our Lord going through this kind of emotional trauma. I mean, this is our immovable rock, right? The the one who, for the vast majority of his ministry, uh, never really succumbed much to this um, weakness of will, if if I can call it that. Because all throughout Jesus' ministry, he was a man of authority. He, He longed to do the Father's will. He's the only person that's ever lived that did it perfectly. But now as he's in the garden, he is facing the hardest thing he's ever had to do, to suffer and die for our sins. And as he realizes that that moment is swiftly approaching, we do see a bit of hesitancy on his part. And I guess in one sense, that's a little disconcerting, but um, in another sense, it's just one of those many things that makes him so relatable. Another reminder that he was as much human as he was divine. And as a man, Jesus knew that in order for him to do the Father's will, it was going to demand sacrifice in its most literal sense. Um, I have uh, entitled tonight's lesson, The Hardest Sermon You'll Ever Hear on Authority. I have got to change that title. It is so presumptuous, isn't it? I mean, oh, really, I mean, you're probably thinking, well, Ryan, I've heard 100 sermons on authority. You're hardly going to surprise me, right? Um, It's just kind of one of those lessons that uh, we've heard a lot of. Um, We feel like we've got this thing down. So it's a head-scratcher. To have something like this titled The Hardest Lesson You Will Ever Hear on, on Authority. Um, I, I, there's a running joke about this uh, sometimes. I heard a, um, a story one time of a preacher who preached a lesson on authority, and a, a guy came up to him afterwards and said, Preacher, of all the lessons I've heard on authority, that, my friend, was one of them. Uh, and, you know, and maybe you'll feel that way about this one. Uh, I don't know. I don't think you will. Because, look, uh, the subject of God's authority in many ways, is straightforward. He is God, of course, so he has all authority. I don't see how any believer in God could ever argue that, right? Um, That's why we ascribe to him the title Lord. Simple thing to acknowledge, right? 
And I think this is also a really simple thing to talk about when we're addressing it to everybody that's out there, right? But you know what? Everybody out there is not in here right now. <laughs> so you know what we're going to do tonight? We're not going to talk to all those folks out there. We're going to talk to us. And that's why this could be one of the hardest sermons that you're ever going to hear on authority. Because tonight we're going to get personal. Uh, tonight we're going to try to try to hit home. And that's where it gets hard. It's not because it's a subject on authority. That's not the tough part. You know what's the tough part about God's authority? It's all those competing authorities that we have out in the world that affect me and my personal life. That's where it's challenging. And these competing authorities can be divided up into two categories when you think about it. There are those authorities that we might call objective authorities. By objective, I mean all those things that are outside of ourselves. You know, our Bible is an objective standard of authority. It's the only objective standard of authority uh, that there is outside of God himself. But it, objective standards would be those things that are out, outside of ourselves. That's one way we can classify authority. And then there are subjective standards of authority. And, and those are the things that are within us, that are internal to us. And there are going to be a lot of examples that we could talk about when we're studying competing standards of authority. But we're just going to look at a few tonight. And I promise, even with just a few that we're going to look at, um, you're going to be challenged. Uh, we'll start with the objective standards of authority. Majority rule is an objective standard of authority. Um, yet, if you had followed the, uh, the, the uh, uh, beliefs of the... Let me start over. If you had followed the beliefs of the majority during uh, Noah's day, you would have never made it on that ark, would you? In which 1 Peter 3, verse 20 tells us that only eight people were saved. If you had followed the beliefs of the majority during Moses' day, then after those spies uh, uh, came back with their bad report, and if you would have marched straight back to Egypt like they wanted to, uh, you would have not been following God's word. And in fact, Numbers 14, verse 30 tells us that only two were spared death in the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus himself said in verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So, so that's the truth, spiritually speaking, but we know this from history, do we not? Um, I mean, practically everyone said the Titanic was unsinkable, didn't they? until it sank on its maiden voyage. And in 1633, the Catholic Church sentenced Galileo to life in prison for daring to question the Catholic Church's teaching that the sun doesn't revolve around the earth. I mean, this is just a fact historically. Just because something is in the, in the majority view or according to majority rule, that doesn't mean that it's a proper standard of authority, does it? And did you know that the opposite is true as well? That being in the minority regarding some belief doesn't make something true either. And sometimes we'll meet people out in the world who are uh, attracted to maybe some kind of outlandish, uh, sensational idea. Maybe they get the kind of a kick out of pushing what is outlandish. I guess the flat earthers would, uh, would be an example of that. But, you know, being in a minority doesn't make one necessarily right any less than being in the majority necessarily make one wrong. It's simply to suggest that neither the majority view or the minority view is to usurp what God has said. But this is hard, isn't it? 
And this isn't hard just for people out there in the world. This is hard for folks in the church. Uh, years ago, uh, I remember preaching a sermon at, a, uh, at another church, um, and I, I mentioned in the sermon, I wasn't preaching about it, but I mentioned in the sermon a, a particular position that I held on a particular subject that's kind of known to be a little bit controversial. Uh, and after the lesson, there was an, uh, an elderly lady that, that came up to me, and, and, and here's what she said. She said, did I understand you correctly that you believe this, that, and the other? I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, well, I know a lot of preachers that would disagree with you. And I was kind of tempted to say, well, I know a lot of preachers disagree with you. <laughs> you know, but, but the reality is that what she said was not establishing some kind of authority, right? And if I had said what I said, which I, I'm glad I didn't, I was a, I've had bad moments, believe me, that was about one of them, uh, I wouldn't have been right either. But, but isn't that interesting that that's sometimes like, that those remarks like that sometimes come out? I mean, it wasn't, you know, I disagree with you, I'd like to sit with you over an open Bible and study this. It wasn't anything like that. It was over some supposed what she viewed to be a majority position on this subject. Um, I don't know what it's like here, but back in Auburn, um, we got crosswalks everywhere, and um, you, you go there on game day weekend when there's like 30 people waiting in the corner like cross the street. Uh, we're waiting for that light to change green. And even while it's red, somebody's just going to go for it. You know what the other 29 people do as soon as that one person goes for it? They all follow suit. And you know who else is doing it to? This guy right here. <laughs> okay. So look, I can quote Matthew 7, 13, and 14 all day long, straight as a way, narrow as a gate, right? I believe that. I can't even get it right at a crosswalk, folks. <laughs> so don't tell me this is a problem just for people out there, right? I mean, this is a problem in some of the most simplest terms, even for people in the church. But being faithful to God will sometimes mean that you stand in the minority. And to be faithful to God, sometimes it means you'll stand alone. So the subject of authority, I mean, we can talk about commands and approved examples and necessary inferences all day long. I teach those things. I firmly hold to those things. But adhering to God's authority requires much more than an understanding about those things. You know what adhering to God's authority really needs in the church right now? Courage. Because to stand on what God's word says also means standing up to and standing against some in the majority. And that's where God's authority gets difficult. Uh, the government uh, is another competing standard of authority. Um, I'm sure that most of us are aware of this verse in Acts chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. Uh, this is where the Sanhedrin tells the apostles after arresting them. They, he tell, they tell them, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Which is interesting, likely, what they asked while he was being crucified. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. So we read this passage, and we've read it for years, and we, and we say internally, if not with our mouth, amen. You, you just let that government try to take away our religious freedoms. We'll be ready. I mean, we can say that very pridefully sometimes, I think. It's really not that easy, though, is it? You know who it wasn't easy for in the last two years? It wasn't easy for our brethren in California, whose governor banned singing in church buildings while the abortion clinics and cannabis and liquor stores stay open for business. 
It was not easy for them. But we think, you know, oh, that's, that's California. You know, they, 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 They'd never be able to get away with that radical initiative here in Georgia or in Alabama where, where I'm at. But, you know, before our government ever tries to strong-arm us against assembly because of something we teach, it, it's likely going to happen under the preface of some so-called righteous intention, some greater good for the community. And where this is going to be a challenge for us, brethren, is when we're feeling the heat, are we going to allow our government to be our moral authority, or are we going to submit to God's word no matter the cost? Now, we need to understand about this, that there are two sides to this, right? I mean, I'll, I'll pay my taxes. I'll, I'll wear my seatbelt. Um, I, I didn't, for a time, I didn't have a problem with wearing masks when the government asked me to. I was fine doing those things. I may not have wanted to do some of those things, and, and, and pride will keep you, too, from doing some of those things. But, you know, in 1 Peter 2, verse 13, Peter tells us, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So, I mean, honestly, if we're doing this for God, it makes it a lot easier, right? I can do this for the Lord's sake. I may not want to do it for pride's sake, but I'll do it for the Lord's sake as long as it doesn't supplant divine directive. But when human laws are written that keep us from fulfilling our God-given Christian duty, we need to remember that God's word comes first. And the government can intimidate us. Uh, they can take away our tax-exempt status. They can fine us. They can arrest us. Or they can kill us. But Jesus Christ, who we call Lord, he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He is Lord. He is the man who became our literal sacrifice, right? And so we owe it to him to become living sacrifices. And when Jesus told the church at Smyrna in the book of Revelation to be faithful unto death, that doesn't mean just to be faithful until we die. That means to be faithful even if it kills you. So let's just pause for a second. Is anybody uncomfortable yet? I'm not saying this is the hardest sermon you've ever heard on authority, but this is not easy stuff that we're talking about, is it? This is not an easy subject. However tedious the subject of authority may appear to you, it's never easy when we're applying it to ourselves and not to everybody else out there. This stuff is hard. And so many churches have struggled with the very things that we're talking about just in these last several years and beyond, haven't they? Uh, our family is a competing authority uh, to God's word. Uh, Jesus himself says it thus in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34. Matthew 10 verse 34. Our Lord said, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword, but for I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Now, Jesus is not saying in these verses that he came in order to create conflict in the family. He's simply confirming what we already know, folks, and that is that the practical effect of truth in the world is that it divides people. Because some people are going to want it and some people won't. And this does cause separations in family. Even if not an outright separation, isn't there a strong temptation to compromise specific teaching in Scripture just to keep the peace in the family? Um, some of you probably know um, a preacher by the name of Bill Hall. 
up in North Alabama. Um, Bill Hall was staying with uh, my wife and I one time. He was doing a meeting at a church I preached at him. Um, and he was telling me about some uh, personal experiences that he had with a lot of the, the vision that happened in the 50s and 60s that I'm assuming uh, many of us here are uh, aware of between um, what we would sometimes term institutional versus non-institutional churches. Um, and he told me uh, from his personal experience with a lot of this that uh, many of the people who went to um, what I guess he would classify as the more liberal churches didn't do so because they really bought into the doctrines of those churches. But they did it because that's where their family were attending. I thought, okay, well, that makes sense. And, and, and then he threw me a curveball that at the time I, I wasn't expecting. He also t told me that there were other people who decided to attend what he classified as more conservative congregations, not because they had any sort of misgivings about institutionalism because that's where their family went. And as I've gotten older, I've observed the truth of what he said. Um, brethren, uh, the people who compromise God's word for family is not just the people out there, okay? This is not an out there problem. This is a human problem. And so human problems get amongst the humans even that attend uh, churches. Um, I once had a, um, once had another church. I had to, unfortunately, take a really hard stand against. A, uh, he was a factious. He was a factious man at a church that I preached at a long time ago. Uh, unfortunately, um, the man I was having to take the stand against uh, was sort of a patriarchal uh, figure in his family, and so uh, as soon as I had to confront him about sins, he was committing the entire family uh, turned against me. Uh, it was just awful. And one of the things I tell some of these uh, younger guys that want to be preachers that I work with in Auburn as they're considering the, going to preach for a work local church, I say, as soon as you get there, find out as soon as possible who is related to who. You've got to get that down before you start listening and talking to folks. And, uh, and, I, and I stand by that. I tell them that because putting family above God's word, that's not just an issue for people out there. That's, that's an issue in here. You understand? I don't mean like you said here, but it's a human problem. It always has been. It's not just something that we need to get on people out there about. This is something that affects Christians. We struggle with this because it's a human struggle. I know how hard this is. That's the point. The subject of authority has never been easy. Authority is only easy to talk about when it's stuff that we agree on or stuff that we're not personally struggling with. But when it's something that challenges me to my core, when it's hitting on something that I personally struggle with, one of my weaknesses... And then letting the Lord be the Lord of my life over this competing authority. And that, that's, that's hard. Again, if all we had to do was stand on God's word alone, it'd be easy. But standing on God's word means that in almost every single case, I'm going to have to stand against something. Against someone, against decisions that are being made by someone that I love, someone that I'm intimately acquainted with. It may be a friend that I've known my entire life that is dear to me, and I just can't believe they're doing this. And yet they're, they're going off the deep end. I've got a choice to make. It could be a preacher who, who I can't, uh, that, that I've loved, and I can't imagine they would go off on the deep end on some topic, but now he is. Could be a tradition, could be a creed. But regardless, there are so many objective, false standards of authority that are competing with the only authority that is going to matter when I come face to face with Jesus on Judgment Day. And that's God's Word. 
And, and listen, I, I'm privately concerned about everybody out there, and we need to be taking these messages to people that we talk to out there, absolutely. But may my first concern be with me and taking a personal inventory of my life so that before I make note of what Joe Neighbor out there needs to be doing to get his life right, I first deal with the competing authorities in my own. Are you uncomfortable yet? It's hard. What about all these subjective standards of authorities? I mean, there's obviously objective false standards of authority out there. What about the things that are internal to me? that hinder me from giving a singular devotion to God's authority. Things that are inside of us that, that tempt us to either outright deny or at the very least compromise some biblical truth. What are some of these things? Well, I think we'd all agree that uh, feelings is one of those things, right? Look in Proverbs chapter 14 with me. Proverbs chapter 14. I don't think this is a surprise. Does anybody here watch Hallmark movies? You're about to get a heavy dose of them. Christmas, <coughs> right? Holidays? You know what they do in these Hallmark movies, right? Everything's about what does your heart say? What does your heart tell you to do? And they base one of the most important decisions in their life, who they're going to marry, on how they happen to feel at that given time of the day. <laughs> Hallmark, God, I don't want to get me started. And Disney, too. You don't want to get me started talking about Disney. Uh, feelings, so powerful. I mean, feelings can actually alter my reality if I'm not careful. Because if it feels good, if it feels right, or if it justifies a pain that I'm experiencing, that can, that can hinder me from righteously judging a situation. Proverbs 14, verse 12 says it this way, that there's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Someone once said, facts don't care about your feelings. And that is absolutely correct. Now, let me offer a disclaimer with that. That does not mean that we should show a lack of empathy. Only that just because I happen to feel strongly about something, that's, that doesn't equate to truth. Just because something or someone means a lot to me doesn't mean that that thing is right. In Jeremiah 17 and in verse 9, it tells us that the heart is more deceitful than all else. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And the devil is hard at work to exploit our emotions, brethren, isn't he? I mean, he knows our pleasures. And he uses people every day to try to exploit those pleasures. And the devil knows our pains. And he uses people all the time to exploit those pains. And I don't think anybody here would be bold enough to say that this is only a competing authority that people out there deal with. That, that, that's not the case. Letting our feelings on a matter supplant God's written word, that is a human struggle. And because it's a human struggle, it's a Christian struggle as well. Uh, fear is a subjective standard of authority. We're going to talk a little, more, a little bit more about that um, Sunday morning. But absolutely fear will keep us from abiding by God's word, right? Because while the word of God is to be at the forefront of our minds and our hearts, fear, when it starts to come, fills our mind with every hypothetical, what if, what if this, what if that? Think about how that is different from how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reacted to bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. Remember what they said to Nebuchadnezzar? They said, even if. Even if God doesn't save us, we're still not going to bow down to your idol. But what does fear do to us? Fear says, well, what if? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? Do you want to be the what if 
Or do you want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, you know, even if I'm still going to do what's right. Because Jesus frees us from fear. Hebrews 2 and verse 15 says that he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. And I want you to think about that phrase. Free us from the fear of death. Think beyond physical death. Because the truth is, there's a lot of deaths that we fear, right? You ever feared the death of a relationship? You ever feared the death of your reputation? The death of your job? The death of your money? The death of your possessions? The list goes on and on. And the solution is not, well, I'm just going to be fearless. I'm just going to, I'm not going to fear anything. That's not the solution. The solution is to fear God so much it makes every other fear I have negligible in comparison. That's one key to this. But I'll tell you a second key that I think is even better is what we read in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14 where the Apostle Paul says the love of Christ controls us having concluded this that one died for all therefore all died Meaning, if I keep the two greatest commandments, if I love the Lord my God with everything I've got, and I love people as I should, that too will make any earthly fears that I may have be negligible in comparison. And how about this one right here? Personal comfort. Has that ever been a competing authority for you? Think about how often we pray to God, thanking Him for the blessings that we have. The freedom that we have to worship Him are for our homes, our jobs, our resources. I mean, we are a comfortable people, folks. We live in the United States of America, which means no matter what socioeconomic status we follow in, simply being in this country makes us the richest people in the world and with opportunities galore to improve upon that status. We live in comfortable homes, we sleep in comfortable beds, we drive comfortable cars, and we sit in this very comfortable building right now. It's actually cool in this building. In Auburn, I'd be sweating by the time I'm at this point in the sermon. Now, y'all got the AC going really good. This is very comfortable. And y'all are sitting in comfortable pews. We are a comfortable people. In fact, we strive so hard to maintain these comfortable circumstances that making the decision to purposefully put ourselves in uncomfortable circumstances is getting harder by the day. So much so that if God has clearly revealed His will concerning the matter, if circumstances make that uncomfortable, I might be less inclined to do it. Now, I may hardly admit that, I may make excuses, look for supposed loopholes, try to find exceptions in the Bible for the rule, or just not really think as hard about it as I need to. Because comfort is important to comfortable people. Um, I purposefully have not asked Clay and Sandra how y'all handled the pandemic. Because <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to know. I wanted to come into this blind. I, ha I know how we handled it in Auburn. I have no idea what y'all did, okay? So I want you to remember that as I say what I'm about to say, okay? That I have no idea what you did. Um, but in Auburn, um, we did virtual services uh, for a couple months, and uh, for others it went a little bit longer. That's how we chose to um, 
initially navigate what we saw at the time to be the present stress. Um, one of the unfortunate side effects that we ran into as we were doing that is we all observed about ourselves just how comfortable we were getting sitting behind those laptops engaged in these virtual services. I mean, I could have a cup of coffee, you know, I could sit in my sweatpants, you know, I kind of kick back, you know, to have to worry about anybody looking at me wondering, why is, it, why is a preacher kicking back listening to this with his feet propped up on me? I didn't have to worry about stuff like that. You know, we're kind of putting on our best face here. I didn't necessarily have to do that sitting from a laptop, and I think there were a lot of other people that were like that as well. I didn't have to consider as much how to stimulate one another to loving good deeds. And I'll tell you, for those of us that are introverts like myself, you know, that, that was especially appealing, <laughs> you know, not having to be around a lot of people. Um, and what I'm about to say, I, I, I want you to understand that I'm not speaking to the people that were high risk or people who were sick or people who were quarantining due to exposure, people who were quarantining because you have to look after people that are shut in who are uh, high risk. I want to say this to everybody else, um, what I had to say to myself. For everybody else in the other categories, people like myself that were just wrestling with anxiety and fear because of the pandemic, did you find virtual church to be a crutch that enabled your fears? If you did that here, I don't even know if you did that here. Did y'all do that here? You didn't do that here? You didn't do virtual church? What did you do? Hybrid. Hybrid? Okay. Okay, fair enough. I, I just wasn't sure. See, I told you I came into this blind. But most churches did this, right? And there's a lot of churches that are having buyer's remorse about that, aren't they? I want to say this, virtual church is not church. It never can be because it doesn't allow us to achieve those one another activities that the Bible teaches that is truly accomplished when we are actually together in person. Now, I know that's controversial, but it's the truth. And again, I understand why we did it, and I'm not talking to the people who had good reason to be away because they are high risk or they are, you know, taking care of people who are things of that nature that I, that I mentioned earlier. But virtual church isn't church. And it's interesting now that we're a year or two removed from all this, how so many churches, so many Christians are really experiencing that buyer's remorse. And let me tell you something about that. That is not a bad thing. I'm glad we've had the time to look back on this and say, you know, we probably could have done this a little bit differently. We all could have met outside, could have kept our distance from one another, we could have met outside, we could have done all those one another activities that the Bible teaches. That's a great thing, and that's what I love about God, is we can make mistakes, and we can look back on it and say, I'm thankful for God's grace that he gave us that time to reconsider our actions and now move forward and do the right thing. <coughs> and what I'm asking is simply this. During that time, did you do it for the right reasons, or did you do it because it just was so comfortable? And look, I'm saying this to my shame because to me, virtual church became something that was very comfortable. I don't know your heart. I just know mine. But I think this is a question that everybody needs to be asking themselves. Because if you thought what happened two years ago was the last time we're going to go through something like this, <laughs> do I have to complete that sentence? Times are going to get tough. And as times get tough, all I want to ask is, are these things going to rule, or is God's Word going to rule? 
And the they out there need to hear this. The brethren, we in here really need to hear this. See, the subject of authority, it, it's not easy. Not when it hits home. Not, not when I'm the one having to make the hard decisions. It's not easy. But see, discipleship and making hard decisions go hand in hand. There is nothing easy or comfortable about making Jesus Lord of my life. But let me give you three reasons why we can do this. Number one, we can do this because we promised God that we would. We can make God's authority our authority because we promised we would. And a promise is supposed to mean something, right? You know that uh, the, the older couple that's been married for a long time whose uh, uh, marriage you envy and you kind of look at how they uh, regard one another. You think, oh man, I wish my marriage was, was like that. This is like the perfect couple. I mean, boy, if we knew all the struggles, the forbearance, the, the, the fights, the forgiveness that went on during those decades of marriage to get it where it is today. I mean, that woman who stayed with that knuckle-headed husband, that's a woman of integrity, isn't she? And the man who stayed with the knuckle-headed wife. The same. People of integrity. Why would people go through so much hardship together for decades and love their companion through so much trial and adversity? And the answer is because on our wedding day, we promised God that we would, for better, for worse, in sickness and in hell, till death do we part. And likewise, when we obeyed the gospel, we made Jesus Christ Lord of our life. And you know what that means? It means we promised him that we would take this thing to the end. When we stood before others and we made that good confession, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We promised, and let me tell you something, a person's word is supposed to mean something. And that's why the Hebrew writer would say in Hebrews 10 and verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Brethren, we promised that we do this. We promised God. He's never broken a promise to us. We don't need to break a promise to him. Now, C.S. Lewis, in arguing for the moral law in his book called Mere Christianity, he said that no culture has ever admired a man for running away from battle. Have they? You go back to all the cultures, to the most medieval culture you can find. Nobody ever admired a person who stood on front lines and said, oh, this is too hard. I'm, I'm, I'm getting out of here. Nobody ever admired that guy. And discipleship is one battle in which we cannot afford to surrender ourselves to the competing authorities. He is either Lord over all my life or he is Lord over none of it. But we said we do this, brethren. And our word for it is supposed to mean something, isn't it? Second, we can make God's authority our authority. Because it's not as hard as we often make it out to be. Um, John uh, alluded to this in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. Where John says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And, and this is the last part. It's so good. And his commandments are not burdensome. Now, sometimes it's going to feel that way. Sometimes it's going to feel like God's commands are, are burdensome. But again, our feelings are not a valid authority, are they? You know what will happen if I stand against the majority? If I stand against the government, if I stand against the family member, if I go outside my comfort zone to do God's will, you know what's going to happen? Nope. The answer is we don't know. But again, Satan is filling our mind with all kinds of hypothetical what-ifs. And the more that we listen to those fears, the more burdensome those commands appear to be. But John said his commandments are not burdensome. 
And he goes on to say, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I mean, taking those training wheels off our bike for the first time, that, that, that was scary, wasn't it? But if I had given in to fear, I would have never learned how to ride a bike. If I had never first gotten in the water, I would have never learned how to swim. If I'd never sucked up the courage, pick up the phone and call my wife and ask her how on a date, we would have never gotten married. Boy, that would have been a mistake. And if Jesus had never gone to the cross to die for our sins, you and I would be utterly hopeless and helpless, and everything we're doing today would be in vain. Folks, it is not the reality that makes these competing authorities so hard. It is our fear over that dreaded what-if. But the truth is, it's going to be okay. If you take a stand, if you have to make a sacrifice, it's going to sting at first. It's going to be hard initially. But it's going to be okay. Because God has our back. And finally, we can make God's authority our authority because no matter what it costs us down here, heaven is going to be worth it all. And you know what makes heaven such a sought after place for us here tonight. It's, it's not for some material or, or carnal acquisitions. It's because of who is there. I'm going to leave y'all Sunday morning after services and I'm going to make the long trip home. And the same thing's going to happen uh, after every long trip I've, I've taken. I'm, I'm going to get home and before I go down to the basement, I'm going to walk around to the back and I'm going to peek in where my glass doors are at my dog, who's going to be waiting there, wagging her tail, just, to, just, just looking at me, just can't wait to get out that, um, that patio where I'm at, because she's going to hear me coming, she's going to be ready. And she has been on that patio a thousand or more times. Why is she so excited to come out on that patio at that moment? You know the answer, don't you? That's where her master is. That's why she wants to be there. That patio is heaven to her. And brethren, that's why we long for heaven. Because that's where our master is. And we serve a master who longs so fervently to do his father's will, it cost him his life. Hebrews 12 and verse 2 tells us why Jesus was willing to endure the cross. He did it for the joy set before him. And when I make decisions down here to do the same, when it's all said and done, I'm going to get to go to heaven and I'm going to get to be with a group of people who I can relate to in this way. I like how Paul put it in Philippians 1 and verse 23. He said, I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, for this is very much better. And when I first meet the Apostle Paul in heaven for the first time, a man that I respect so much, I want that man to be proud to stand next to me in that heavenly course because he sees in me someone that he can relate to. But on the other hand, it pains me to think of going through life down here where I only obeyed God's word as long as it didn't cost me something or it didn't cost me someone and then having to go to heaven and meet Jesus face to face on judgment day. I want to hear him say, I never knew you. I couldn't relate to you down there. But brethren, that's what's going to happen if we don't make the hard decisions now. But heaven's
going to be worth it. And don't you want to go there? And praise God together with a bunch of other people who made the same hard choices as you. So again, um, the title of the lesson is very presumptuous. I, you, you, you judge whether or not this is the hardest or one of the hardest lessons on the party you, you've ever heard. Um, but at the very least, I hope you will leave tonight agreeing that the subject of authority has never been easy. And I just think it's going to get harder for us because I, I just think we've had it way too easy in the church for far too long. Now, we've seen in the last couple of years, things are getting a little bit more difficult. And we're starting to enter in an era now where the, the biggest battlegrounds on authority is not going to be our fighting over institutionalism or instrumental music and worship. Those are worthy topics to, to discuss and to, and to contend over. I get it. One of the biggest battles going forward is likely going to be over how far I'll let my secular successes distract me from an undistracted devotion to God's Word. One of the biggest battles going forward is likely going to be over doing or not doing something God has commanded me on the basis of whether or not I'm uncomfortable or whether it scares me. But I just think for how bold we have been in the past with lessons on authority towards our denominational friends and our institutional friends, knowing that many of the same errors they make are over the same internal competing authorities that you and I struggle with too, then maybe it's time for you and I to start taking an inventory of our life. Maybe take a note out of the Rich Young Ruler's book who asked Jesus, what do I still lack? And we need to do this for our sake, but we also need to do it for the sake of our children who are watching us closely. We're watching to see just how much we're willing to lay it all on the line for Christ when the going gets tough. As for Jesus, he said, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. But no sooner than when that temptation entered his mind did he follow that up with, Yet not as I will. As is there a competing authority in your life that is distracting you from doing the Lord's will? Uh, we're going to sing a song of invitation at the time entitled, Who Will Follow Jesus? And while that is certainly a valid question for everyone out there, everyone out there is not in here. This is something that we're going to sing for us here tonight. That's the question for us. Who will follow Jesus? And I don't mean following him one mile, two miles, ten miles. Who will follow Jesus to the end? That is the invitation for us tonight. And if we can help you tonight to overcome some competing authority that is dragging you down, we're here to help you. We're here to pray with you and lift your hands in any way that we can. Why don't you come forward and make that known while we stand, while we stand.